This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You know that in the early days of our country, the different groups sailed the ocean to uh, come to this new land and make their home here. About 400 years ago, a ship load of travelers landed in the northeast part of our country. And out of those groups, the story is told that the first year that one of those groups came, they erected a town together, established town government. The third year that they were here, they planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. And what's so amusing about this plan is that in the fourth year, the people rose up and tried to impeach their town government because they thought building a road into the wilderness was a waste of public funds. Why do we need to go west? What's out there? And of course, we smile because with our history, they kept going west until they ran into another ocean, didn't they? Uh, but just think about this. People had enough faith to get on a rickety ship, cross the Atlantic, and come here so that they could uh, worship in freedom, have other freedoms. And yet when it came to building a road west, well, that was too much. Uh, they wanted to use their funds, their resources for their own purposes and and they became myoptic, didn't they? And their focus, they, it was on them, it was on what they had, and just, just enjoying things instead of continuing to exercise faith and expand out. This reminds us at Christmas time, does it not, that people can have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. And yet, once they're saved, then they think, I'm set. And they go back, sometimes living pretty much like they did before, no vision, they, continue, they stop exercising faith, and the change that God intended through salvation ends in their lives. They lose their vision. Without vision we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. And that's true, of course, physically. That's also true spiritually. The Bible uses the word vision, doesn't it? When the Bible uses it, that word, it's not just talking about looking ahead. In fact, in the scripture, a vision refers to revelation from God. A vision was God declaring what he envisioned or what he planned for the future. And of course, when he spoke, when he prophesied, it was settled. Even if it had not yet been completely fulfilled, the fact that God said it, there was no turning back. There was nothing that could change. God says, I send out my word and it accomplishes exactly what I intend for it to accomplish. And so a vision was God declaring what he envisioned. Now, when we read God's prophecies and his predictions in the scripture, 
we see what God has been doing here on earth. In fact, we know from the Garden of Eden that even before Eden, God had an eternal plan, His plan of redemption. And He declared that plan uh, to uh, the first man and woman there uh, in the garden. And that plan has continued to unfold. I agree with Bob Logan who said this, quote, a godly vision is right for the times, right for the church, and right for the people. A godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. Can I just pause for a moment? We need vision this morning to promote our faith and to stop fear. He goes on, a godly vision motivates people to action. A godly vision glorifies God, not people. By the way, without God's vision, all right, His plan for the future and keeping our eyes on that, the focus easily turns to us, and that's, that's never a good thing. We're here to glorify Him, serve Him, not serve us. And so, with this in mind, consider what the writer of Proverbs 29.18 said. And some of you Bible students out there, when we talk about vision, your mind has already gone to this passage. Where there is no vision, the people perish. All right, without God's vision, without understanding what He has said and what He has planned, predicted for the future, without us seeing that, the people perish. Now that word perish is an interesting word. It actually means in the Hebrew to make naked. And in scripture nakedness was always a, a sign of shame except for within the bounds of marriage. So, so why is that Hebrew word used? It's the idea of people being without restraint. And we see examples in scripture where people perished and that they turned from the will of God, and as a result, they brought shame on themselves by doing wicked, immoral things. And without an image, the, the vision of the Lord, without keeping our eyes on His plan, His purposes, as He stated them, it'll bring a lack of restraint to our lives. But then the verse goes on. Listen to this. But he that keepeth the law stays focused on that vision, what God has said, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so the Lord encouraged me with this truth as I was uh, preparing, we've been working through the uh, prophecy of Isaiah on Wednesday nights. And the Lord reminded me of this, of this text, this, these visions, these prophecies of the Lord and and the impact that they're intended to have on our lives. God says that reminders of his prophecies causes people to restrain themselves and to adjust their behavior so that they will please him. Now this is what 1 John chapter 3 talks about. And you're there. Hopefully uh, you have your Bible open. Uh, if not, set your cup of coffee down there at home. Go get your Bible, okay? Because you need to be following along, along with uh, uh, the few of our number who are here in the auditorium with us this morning. But 1 John 3 and verse 3 
Help us understand what the scripture is, is saying here. Here's what it says. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It would be appropriate in your Bible, if you'd like to do this, next to that word hope in the margin, you ought to write vision. Write vision. What is our hope? It's what God has predicted and then fulfilled in his word. Okay, we weren't there for those historical events, including the birth of our, our wonderful Savior, but you know what? It happened. <laughs> Whether you ever get to go visit uh, Israel or not, it happened. How do we know it happened? God said it in his word. So, those that have that hope in them purify themselves, even as he is pure. What is the hope? Well, the hope is the Lord's coming. Look back at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's the hope. But as you read through verse 2, you do recognize there's just a whole lot of prophecy and fulfilled scripture that points to that verse. Okay? He's coming again. Why? He came once already. All right? And based on the work that he accomplished when he was here the first time, we have this blessed hope. Now, what is the connection in this passage with prophecy? I'm so glad you asked. Look down at verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested. You ought to underline that word. He was made known. He was revealed to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So let, let me just jump ahead real quick, okay? In him is no sin. How could that be possible? Well, I'll tell you this, because he is God come in the flesh, and oh, by the way, no sin nature. How do we know that? He was virgin born. That's what happened when he was manifested. And then he proved that out through his life. And during his life, you actually have times where the heavens ring out. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus went to the cross and gave his life, shed his blood to pay for our sin, the penalty of which is death and then to rise again the third day. So he was revealed, just like the scriptures had predicted. So we're in a Christmas season again, aren't we? And there are a lot of things happening that maybe don't, it doesn't feel like Christmas in some ways, except for the Christmas decorations you may see uh, around, around your house. Uh, but there are a lot of the norms that we we normally do at this time, and, and those things have been had to be put off or changed because of COVID, and, and uh, perhaps with some of you, because your jobs have been affected, your income's been affected, all right? But none of that should take our attention away from what this season is about and the glorious applications and realities that come from Jesus coming to be our Savior. So we need to see that the prophecies about Christmas and their fulfillment were given to change us. 
Not so that we have a reason to celebrate. Uh, eat more food. Though all that tends to happen this time of year. No, it's intended for us to glorify God. That's the celebration part. But then to glorify God by the change that his son brings to our lives when we know him. Nothing about Christmas truth is static or simply commemorative. It's intended to be life-altering and cause eternal change. So I've entitled the message this morning, The Vision of Christmas. Okay? Even our songs this time of year, right? Visions of sugar plums. Am I getting that right? Dance in their heads. Well, Christmas is not about those kinds of visions. It's about the fulfillment of God's vision that he declared through his prophecy. So as I examine my Bible, I see at least 10 specific prophecies that were fulfilled when Christ was born in Bethlehem. We're only going to be able to consider three of those in today's message, but these are the three that primarily affect change, are intended to affect change in our lives. Again, they do involve worship. Let us come, let us worship. And we hear that a lot in our good hymnody and in these Christmas carols. But as we worship, uh, these truths are intended to change us. And by the way, that change allows us to worship in greater ways. And that change itself is worship to the Lord as we yield and surrender ourselves to Him. So let's look at these visions and see how they're intended to change us directly. First of all, the first vision that we want to see this morning is Jesus would be born of a virgin. I've already alluded to that. But here's what Isaiah 7:14 predicted. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Do you know that that is the only time ever on this planet that a virgin can see. That's amazing. Now again, the vision of the Lord predicted that back in the garden. It would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, the tempter, the father of death. We looked at the wording of Isaiah 7.14 last Wednesday night and noted that the Hebrew word does in fact mean a virgin. Yes, it can be translated a young woman, but no, in that context it means a virgin and based on what else God has said in the Old Testament. And then the prophecy was fulfilled over in Matthew chapter 1. Let's turn there, let's look at the fulfillment together. Here's what we read in Matthew 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's helping us not miss the fact they're not married. There have been no relations she was found with what? Child. Of who? Not Joseph. The Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, 
why would he do that? Well, he knows he's not dead. <laughs> do you see what the Holy Spirit's doing? Reinforcing over and over, virgin birth. He was put, minded to put her away publicly, or uh, privately, not publicly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Why? He hadn't done it yet. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a passage. As you read on, verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Oh, the prophet, yes, he's going to remind us of the vision. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So what Matthew does in his gospel is he takes the Greek word for, for virgin, he puts that in this text because that's what the Holy Spirit wanted to remind us of this important truth. Isn't that amazing? Now, John will give more explanation of this back in 1 John chapter 3. Look please at verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. The parallel is, okay, Jesus was sent to save his people from their sins. And in him is no sin. He had to be virgin born. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Okay? Those who are in Christ, sin's gone. Right? He washes the sin away and he gives us victory over future sin. Now we can sin, we don't have to. But whosoever sinneth or continueth to sin hath not seen him, neither known him. All right? If you're a genuine Christian and you are in Christ, old things are passing away. Verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, different family. The devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was, here's your word again, revealed, manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the Savior, born of a virgin, was without sin, and he was manifested as the perfect sacrifice to take away our sins and then to change us as we yield our lives to him. See, the vision is about salvation and change. So the question we have to ask ourselves, if we claim to be in Christ, has there been change? And a person who is not in Christ cannot change. We can try, and we've got a new year coming up, and you can, you can be resolute, okay? But without Christ, you can't change. And so... What we're celebrating with Christ's birth, the vision of that was salvation for change. Now, not only was it predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin, but a second prophecy was fulfilled at his coming. And that prophecy is this. Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. 
Again, Jesus would be given the throne of his father, David. So listen to the predictions that were made in the Old Testament regarding our Lord's lineage. 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 and 12. Nathan is delivering to David God's Davidic covenant, God's vision, his prophecy for David. And here's what Nathan says to him from the Lord. And as since at the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee, right, there's the vision, that he will make thee a great house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. We've already referenced some of Isaiah's prophecies. But let's, it's always fun at this time of year. Let's go to Isaiah's prophecy again. And go to chapter 9. And that wonderful sixth verse, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now watch verse 7. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Why? Because upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now, if there's any question whether that's going to happen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform this. It's settled, folks. Okay? It's an everlasting kingdom because the Lord Jesus will sit on the everlasting throne of his father, David. If you turn over to Isaiah 16 and verse 5, it's referenced again. And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting. Now what's that? In other words, and being prompt in decree and fulfillment. It's been declared, but again, our Lord, who a thousand years is, 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 is a, a day, the scripture tells us, all right, he's, he's hastening on to fulfill this. That encourages us, right? Very soon the trump's going to sound. And from the time that that trump sounds, you have seven years, less than two election cycles. Here in this country, right? Less in less time. How how fast has the last four years gone? Very quickly. Okay, here we are again. Of course, it feels long because they never stop with election commercials. I get that, okay. But in less than seven years from the time that Trump sounds, what's gonna happen? King Jesus reigns on earth. And so again, hasting uh, righteousness. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, 
and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. There's not one part of this globe that's not going to be impacted by that great rain. Now, when was this fulfilled? Well, note Luke 1, 31 and 32. Again, the message to Mary from an angel. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Wow. But the question is, the theme that, that God laid on my heart for this message this morning, the question is, is there any life-changing application in that? That Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. Well, absolutely. The one who reigns in heaven and will reign in Jerusalem is Prince of Peace, and he's the giver of mercy. And those predictions, are those made for whenever he gets here to reign? No, those are for right now. Because for the child of God, for the person who admits to God they're a sinner and received Jesus Christ as Savior, the Prince of Peace, by his Spirit comes to live in our hearts. And so, peace, being aware of his mercies, which are new every morning, we know that because the Prince of Peace lives right here. Oh, that's, that's great stuff. When, when we are battling COVID, when, when there's so much uncertainty, when, when, and I'll just be honest this morning, as your pastor, and I haven't said this publicly yet, I do think the election was rigged and stolen. I'll just be honest with you. Say, so, Pastor, where's the proof? Well, if we're going to find out what happens, to a certain degree, we have to depend on a very undependable media in this country. And rich and powerful people can hide truth. Now, that's my opinion. Don't be too distracted by that. But I will tell you this, that when we see people reign who are unjust, that, especially for the Church of Jesus Christ, that brings conflict into our hearts. It can bring fear it, it, and, 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 and bring concern. But here, here's the point. King Jesus not only is going to reign, he does reign right now. He reigns now. But he reigns in our hearts, so no matter what is happening externally, internally, we can have peace that passes understanding. In fact, listen, uh, going back again to what the Lord said in the Old Testament, Here's another one of his visions. Here's another one of his prophecies. He says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. We have no reason to fear what man can do unto us. Do you have that peace today? I have no doubt that folks that are listening, you need peace. I need peace every day. Where do I get it? Not hoping that something will turn around in the election or that, that the Justice Department will, will be willing to, to deal with the injustice and the, and, and the 
cronyism and all that stuff going on. That's, that's not where I get my peace. I get my peace from the Prince of Peace. And you and I, in these days, I believe the Lord is stripping away all the things that we're tempted to depend on so that we will depend on Him alone. And here's what you'll discover. If you will go to your knees alone with God, cast your care on Him, talk to Him, claim His promises, remind yourself of those promises, and who our Lord is, peace is going to come into your heart. You're going to be able to keep going. But remember that this peace is only available through minds that are fixed on our Lord and what He said. Also, there is a warning here to governments, and I've talked about government here a little bit. I am thankful that the president we have right now has been favorable to Israel. I'm not so sure what's going to happen in the future, especially with the new president-elect. Especially if he listens to the radicals in his party. And by the way, he's radical in some ways too. But, but here's, here's the, the whole thing. We need to favor Israel. Why? Because if you believe God's word, the city of Jerusalem is the place where there will be an eternal throne. And any government today ought to be really careful what they do with Israel. Because the one who's going to occupy that throne, he's watching right now. And you know what he also prophesied to a guy named Abraham? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. So there are great ramifications when we come to Christmas to the vision of the Lord and what he said about this matter. I need to move on. Scripture predicts that Jesus would be born of a virgin that he would occupy the throne of his father David. The passages that we have just read, along with others in Daniel and Micah, bring us to the third, final prediction we're going to be able to consider this morning. And that is, Jesus will reign over an eternal kingdom. We've talked about his eternal reign, but his eternal kingdom. We want to focus on that. The Bible makes it clear that the sinless... Virgin-born, son of David, equal with the Father, he's God, will reign eternally. The references I've made to Jesus reigning in Jerusalem on that throne, that's, that's just the beginning of an eternal reign. Jesus reign in Jerusalem on David's throne, that'll be a thousand years. And it's just the beginning of an eternal reign reign. But this is referenced by other things that the Lord said to other prophets. Consider, for example, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Daniel 2 and verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people now, let me, let me just stop there. You know what encourages me about that passage? It won't be left to other people. What, what's that mean? There won't be any succession of power. No new president, no new king, 
No, no party winning an election. There's no succession, folks. When he reigns, it will be forever, and that's glorious. I am so tired of, well, what, what is going to change with these new leaders? And, and if, if you know the Lord and you've got any discernment at all, you do get to see what's happening in our nation, right? One party comes into power, they defund things, everything takes a huge step backwards, and then another party gets in, and they start funding it, and they build it back up, and just in time for somebody else to tear it all down again. I'm weary of that, and I think you are too. But guess what? King Jesus, it's an eternal kingdom. He is justice. He doesn't just fulfill justice, he is justice. He wrote the law, he's going to make all things right, crooked ways straight. Oh, great news. But let's go on. He's not going to uh, give his, his power to another, won't be left to another, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Again, Daniel 2 and verse 44. Listen to Daniel 7, 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. In the end, one final time, at the end of the millennial reign, the Lord Jesus is going to allow Satan to be released from the bottomless pit. And remember, folks, he's in control of all this. He put him there. He gets to release him from there. Why would he do that? Well, here's why. Because all through the millennium, children are still being born on this earth. They have had perfect government, but now they get to decide, do they follow King Jesus or do they follow this fool Satan? And you know what? A great number on the planet are going to follow Satan again. Now, is there any threat to Jerusalem as those people, again, the armies march towards Jerusalem? Is there any threat? No, the people of God are going to be spared, and with the word of his power, he's going to wipe out and send to a lake of fire all those enemies. Why? Because he has already said his kingdom shall not be destroyed. And then the Lord is going to destroy. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And Revelation tells us about that just just as the scripture, the canon of scripture closes. And over that new heaven, new earth, those who have submitted their hearts to the Lord and been saved, they get to enjoy that eternity in a brand new setting, no sin. And by the way, King Jesus still reigns. Listen to Micah 4 and verse 7. And I will make her that halted, speaking of Israel, a remnant, and her that was cast off, a strong nation. 
And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. That word halted speaks of those in captivity and in bondage. And of course, there was physical captivity that Israel went into in Babylon and Assyria. But what was that a result of? The captivity they were already into sin. Israel halted, be limped, uh, was not well because of sin, and then the resulting captivity. But the point is King Jesus is going to change all that. Not only establish a kingdom, but he's going to make people who were in the bondage of sin and in bondage to others, he's going to make them whole. He's going to heal them and redeem them to himself. The angel told Mary in Luke 1.33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. Mary, and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. I wonder, and we don't talk about this much, but as Mary stood at the foot of the cross and watched her son die, I wonder how these prophecies, these visions from God, how they sustained her in that time. I'm not minimizing how difficult, how hard that must have been, but as Mary stood and looked at the cross, thought back to that baby that she had birthed in Bethlehem. I wonder if she was sustained because what the Lord brought back to her mind in those moments is the fact that this one will reign forever. I don't think she understood all that was happening. Resurrection, okay? But she had a promise. And I think she held that in her heart as well. So Jesus' first coming accomplished everything that set the stage for his eternal reign in an eternal kingdom. But here's where I want to leave us today. Listen. He came because he wants you to be part of his kingdom. He didn't do all this just to show who's in charge. No, no, no. <laughs> There's never been a doubt of who's in charge. But here's the point. He came unto his own that as many as would believe him might become his children, become part of his kingdom. Everything we do now should be looking towards the eternal, not the temporal. That means salvation. Again, if you're listening to my voice today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to surrender to him. Admit you're a sinner and receive his free gift. You need to be saved today. There's no reason to wait. In fact, you ought to look around. His return is very soon. Things are very uncertain. And by the way, your life is really vulnerable. You better be prepared for eternity. So salvation. And then Christians, our affections. I remember as a child, Christmas was... Christmas was great, and I, I always, you know, I, my assessment of Christmas is did I get what I asked for, right? Okay, we, we all live that. Okay, you know, did I get what I wanted? Okay, now I'm ready for the new year because I got what I wanted. That, that was my immature assessment. Do you know that people can be saved and still have that assessment? That's, a, that's so sad. Instead, when we're saved, our assessment ought to be because of Christ and his work in my life, 
My affections should not be here. They need to be set on things above. You're investing. Where you're spending your time. Don't separate the fulfilled predictions about our Lord's coming from the absolute assurance that His promises bear the same fulfillment that the ones about His first coming did. Uh, we, we rejoice that, that, that all these predictions were made and they were fulfilled when Jesus came in Bethlehem. But, but don't miss the fact that the same God who made those predictions has, has also said some things to you and me. He also said, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap that which is going to help your life everlasting. And, and I'm, I'm given the context there. It's not that you gain life everlasting, but you're going to enjoy fuller life in the everlasting because you planted and you sowed for eternal matters. Think about other predictions that the Lord has made. Okay. Casting down imaginations and, and high things that exalt themselves against what we know to be true of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All those things that the Lord has said to us, they are as rock solid and they are going to have fulfillment just like what you read in your Old Testament related to Christ. First coming, His death, resurrection, He spoke it. We need to put our lives, our assurance on it. So these revelations, these visions, as we close, about Christ at His first coming are meant to give us vision for the future. What is yet to come and the change that can come if we'll just take God at His word. Perhaps you are like the earthly settlers, okay, that we, we talked about at the beginning. You've put your faith in Christ, and yet God wants to build a road in your future that leads to, to greater fruitfulness, and, and the Lord wants to put, put your mind out there, what He can do through you if you'll yield to Him, what He's called you to do. And, and if you can trust Him to save you, you can trust Him to take that, take that road. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Follow all that he has called you to do. Christ in you is still the hope of glory. And you being able to bring more glory to him by your yieldedness. But if you have settled into a routine that is content and apathetic, Christmas needs to change that in you. The truth of Christmas. The steps of faith and change in your life, if they have stopped, you're out of the will of God. Every day needs to be new steps of faith. The Lord changing us from glory to glory into His very image. Maybe the sins of the past have crept back in, even though our Lord's coming was all about making you free. You need to confess that. You need to ask God to break those, those bonds again. You need to turn from that and start living for the Lord again. Now perhaps there's someone listening and you've started your preparations to celebrate another Christmas. But let me ask you this morning to just be empty or be honest about the emptiness in your soul. 
Your emptiness perhaps is compounded by the fears of COVID, the uncertainty of this time. And, and I would say God allows that. He wants to use that to get you to turn to Him where there is no variableness. There's no uncertainty or change uh, from what He is. He remains the same so that He can change you to bring glory to Him. And that begins again with you being saved. You can experience what the Christmas prophecies all point to. Deliverance from sin, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he offers you that eternal life as a gift right now. It's free. Cost him his life, but it's free to you. Will you receive him? So I don't know what God may be doing in your heart today, but you have just heard the vision of Christmas. This is what it's about. A lot of other things can take our minds in a lot of other directions. But this is the vision of Christmas. May God help us to see it. May God help us not to lose sight of it, shall we pray. Father, thank you for all this truth. We are so blessed, even from Old Testament saints, because we get to see the vision, and then we get to see visually how you fulfilled it. In living color, the Gospels and, and uh, other truths in the epistles, and including John's epistle as we read there this morning. But Lord, you know that without your illumination, our hearts can be dull and blind. So Father, work in the hearts of those who are listening today. And would they purpose right, help them to purpose right now to change. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Obviously, you've got probably, uh, most of you I know, uh, a television screen in front of you. But would you just bow your head wherever you are, families bowing together. And would you think about the vision of Christmas? Those of you that have this hope in you, Will you ask God to purify you? Oh, you're already sanctified through the blood of Christ. But are there things that, that we saw in the scripture this morning, other loves, other, other things that you're worshiping, other distractions, uh, sin that you need to confess, are there things that have blinded you to the, the vision of Christmas? The Lord saved you. He wants to reign in your heart now, just as he's going to reign forever. And if there's anything that you need to settle with the Lord, would you do that now? Yield your heart to Christ. And then if there's anyone who is watching this morning, you don't know Christ as Savior, now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Admit to the Lord that you're a sinner. Recognize, admit that that sin is going to condemn you to a, an eternal hell but that Jesus came to this earth, was born of a virgin, went to a cross because he wants to save you, wash away your sin, give you eternal life. Would you let him do that today? You could, you could go into this Christmas and somebody could ask, what would you get for Christmas? I got eternal life. I got Jesus. 
the best gift ever, the most expensive gift ever, but a gift that will bring you peace and change your life, would you right now tell God you're a sinner and invite Him, based on His work at the cross, invite Him to be your Savior? Would you do it now? And if you've just trusted Christ, let me encourage you, please, reach out to us. Let us know. We want to rejoice with you. We want to pray with you. And then send you some gospel literature that will help explain where you can read it and be reminded and be assured what God has said about your eternal life. Let us help you with that. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Father, we rejoice in our time here. Lord, we, uh, we are so comforted by what Christmas is really about. Thank you for your word. Uh, the living truth. And Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to be our Savior that now that you live in our hearts. Uh, Father, be glorified. Lord Jesus, be glorified through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.